Hey there, welcome to LiveWire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. This week on the show, we are gonna be talking about how to get through hard stuff. But don't worry, it's not gonna be a bummer, we promise. Like, um, say that maybe you're having trouble in the romance department. How about using witchcraft? That is what Alyssa Washuda did. Uh, she writes about it in her book of essays, White Magic. Then Anna Sale is going to stop by. She literally hosts a podcast about topics that are difficult. It's called Death, Sex, and Money. And now she's got a book out. It's called Let's Talk About Hard Things. My version of that book would probably be called Do We Really Have to Talk About Hard Things? But Anna makes a compelling case for why we should. Then we're going to hear some music from indie legend Juliana Hatfield, who had to learn computer stuff to record her latest album during the pandemic. And we're going to hear some of that music. All right, here is the easy part. Just stay right where you are. Livewire gets started right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Live Wire is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving or cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. How's it going? It's going well. It's going real well. Glad to uh, team up on this radio project once again this week. Are you ready, though, to start off with a little station location identification examination? Uh, yes, I am. Okay, this is where I'm going to tell Elena about a place in the country where Livewire is on the radio, and you got to try to guess where I am talking about. Okay, this place is known as both the RV capital of the world and the band instrument capital of the world. In fact, over 84% of the nation's RVs are made in this place. Oh, I don't know anything about RVs, but I used to sell band instruments. Really? Yeah, that was my high school job. <laughs> uh, the Atlanta Music Center in Gwinnett County, Georgia. And I feel like there's some company in like Indiana, yes. Illinois. Indiana. Indiana. In fact. Gary, Indiana. Close. Elkhart, Indiana. Oh. It just doesn't rhyme. It doesn't flow like this, the Gary, Indiana song in The Music Man. Oh, I Elkhart, love that song. Elkhart, Indiana. Indiana. Elkhart, Indiana. Elkhart, Indiana. We are on WVPEFM in Elkhart, Indiana. Other fun facts about Elkhart that I could have shared with you, Elena. It's also the birthplace of Alka-Seltzer and the Flintstones vitamins. Really? That wouldn't have helped me at all, but that's great. Shout out to everyone tuning in from the Hoosier State there in Elkhart, Indiana. All right, should we get to it with the show? Let's do it. All right, take it away. From PRX, it's Livewire. This week, writer Alyssa Washuta. 
Magic was a really important part of this transformation that took place for me that the book is really about. And podcaster Anna Sale. It's important to be honest and to name the thing that's happening, but also all of these conversations are happening in the context of a relationship. So you need to tend to that relationship. With music from singer-songwriter Juliana Hatfield. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now, the host of Livewire, Luke Burbank. Hey, thank you so much, Elena Passarello. Thanks to everyone for tuning in from all over the country. We have... A, a really interesting show uh, scheduled this week. Of course, we asked the Livewire listeners a question. We asked them to tell us about a trivial disagreement that they can never seem to resolve. This is because uh, Anna Sale, one of our guests, has a book out about having hard conversations. Uh, so we wanted to hear what our listeners' experience was with that. We are going to read some of those responses a little bit later on in the show. First, though, we've got to kick things off the way we always do with the best news we heard all week. <laughs> This is our little reminder at the top of the show that there is still some good news happening out there in the world. Elena, what's the best news you saw this week? Well, you know, it's graduation season, high school graduation, college graduation, maybe preschool graduation. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But this is a graduation of the college variety, specifically Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida, where there were five valedictorians. What? So five students had a perfect GPA, basically? Yeah, or better. I mean, I think you can, some people are so good now, they can get like a 6.0 or something. I was in no danger of being the valedictorian of my college, that is for sure. Me either. Um, (laughs) But the way that they decided to work it in terms of who gave the speech, all the five valedictorians voted, and they selected Elizabeth Bonker a fascinating, amazing, intelligent young person who also is a non-speaking individual. Okay. Elizabeth lives with autism that affects her neuromotor control, which affects speech and writing. So she delivered her speech by text-to-voice technology. Yes. And she looks wonderful in the video. She's wearing this amazing mortarboard hat covered in flowers and a beautiful flower necklace and all of her cords and sashes and all the things you get from being like a valedictorian. And the speech is just really, really moving and really good. And, you know, she's a valedictorian. It's super well-written. It begins with her saying that she's typed it basically with one finger and with the help of someone with a keyboard and opens up to this larger conversation about how it's a blessing to be able to have that power to communicate. And in the speech, she quotes a lot of different people, Viktor Frankl, Martin Luther King, Alan Turing. But she starts with this little anecdote of Rollins College's most famous graduate, who is Mr. Fred Rogers. (gasps) And she notes that when Mr. Rogers passed away, they found in his wallet a little slip of paper that said, life is for service. And so at the end of this speech, valedictorian Elizabeth Bonker asks all of the graduates of the class of 22 at Rollins to tear off a tiny square of their diploma and write life is for service on it. There were pens underneath the chairs and they all wrote life is for, oh, Luke's doing it right now. He's like, I can't hold the microphone and rip paper at the same time, but I'm going to do it too. What an amazing little exercise to remind us of kind of why we're here on this planet. And she said, you know, she's going to go on. She already has her own nonprofit called Communication for All that she's going to devote her life to giving voice and allowing and embracing the communication of non-speaking individuals. She's got 
a great path planned for her, and so do many of the other graduates. But now they all have this new tradition, this little piece of paper in their wallets that are going to remind them of what I think is the most beautiful sentiment that can be said right now, especially in the the trying times that we're in. Let's not forget that we're here to serve other people as best we can. I just love that. And now our listeners can do that as long as they're not driving. Like if it's safe where you are, find a piece of paper. Make yourself Put the a beer note. down. Yeah. And right. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm so grateful to her for, for starting that tradition, and I can't wait to carry it on. And I'm glad you're doing it too, Luke. That's Absolutely. so cool. Hey, I've got a graduation story that I saw this week as well that's the best news that I found out about. It Ooh. involves a young woman named Sierra Bozarge Fusel. Now, back in 2013, she was going through a sort of a hard time. She was about to graduate from high school. Um, But her parents, who had adopted her, had uh, been dealing with addiction issues and were, at the time, incarcerated. And she was a big fan of the rapper J. Cole. So she calls calls a radio station in Philly, Hot 107.9 in Philly, (laughs) and she gets on the radio station. She asks if J. Cole will wish her a happy birthday because it's her birthday. Was he there? I don't think so. That's where this plan was a little (laughs) confusing to me, okay? She puts it out on the air, and then... Doesn't hear anything back. Doesn't get the happy birthday message. But three months later, she actually gets a call from the rapper J. Cole, who had somehow found out about this thing. And he said, hey, would you want to get together in person and uh, wish you a happy birthday? And so they did. And uh, Sierra brought this typed letter to this meeting with J. Cole of her life story. And again, of a lot of the the really challenging stuff that she had been through. And so J. Cole made her a promise. He said, if she was accepted to a four-year college he would come to her high school graduation and so she worked really really hard under you know what were some really trying circumstances in terms of family stuff and she did so she gets into rowan university in pennsylvania Mm -hmm. so j cole comes to her high school graduation and it's like (laughs) cool thing you know um and it was a big part of what inspired her to really stay the course and, and get her education you know on track so then flash forward to this year 2022 She's graduating from Rowan University, and J. Cole shows up again. He does? <laughs> at her college graduation as well. What there are these mensch. like amazing pictures on Instagram of oh. Sierra and J. Cole. And she's all, like you said, uh, talking about the graduate that you were talking about earlier, just all done up in her kind of cool graduation outfit. And yeah. it's just an incredible picture. Then uh, she tweeted out the caption was some of the lyrics from J. Cole's song, Nobody's Perfect, most of which I can't really say on public radio, <laughs> but it does end with, look, mama, we made it. Oh, my God. I love that story. J. Cole out there inspiring the, uh, the, the students uh, of America. So that's so cool. I know. It's the best thing that I saw this week. Let's get our first guest on over to the show. Alyssa Washuda's book, White Magic, is a collection of essays that talk about land, heartbreak, colonization, and how she became a powerful witch. She also teaches creative writing at The Ohio State University. They get mad if you don't say The Ohio State, Elena. The definite article. You need the definite article. So let's take a listen to this. It's our conversation with Alyssa Washuda, recorded last year. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I'm in Portland, Oregon. I am not too far from Cowlitz country, um, which is the tribe that you're from in Washington State, but you grew up in New Jersey. What was your kind of relationship with with that part of your family history being that you grew up on like the opposite end of the country. Yeah. 
We would get back to Washington maybe every other summer when I was growing up. So I certainly knew my family really well, uh, my mom's side of the family. And I had, of course, a sense of who I was as a Cowlitz person um, and a Cascade descendant. But it wasn't until I moved to Seattle in 2007 that I really more fully understood what it meant to be Cowlitz because it was more of a part of my everyday existence to be in relationship with the land. I was going to tribal council meetings for the first time and just had like a fuller sense of what it meant to be a member of my family and of my tribe. When I uh, saw that the title of this book was White Magic, I guess I thought maybe that was just kind of, if you meant that like figuratively, but like the book is really about magic. <laughs> like it plays a big <laughs> role in, in the book. Um, when did you start having a relationship with magic and being a witch? I was always interested in it as a kid because I had seen it in my children's books, like the mm. the Dory Little Witch series, I really wanted to be inside those books and any kind of witch representation. I had like this yearning to to be part of that. And especially after I uh, saw the movie The Craft when I was about 12. <laughs> wow. So my evangelical Christian parents were right. Consuming that kind of media would make one get involved in witchcraft. For sure. And um, it was just sort of a curiosity when I was a kid and when I was a teenager, it still seemed really off limits because I thought I needed to have some kind of initiation into the world of witchcraft. You know, I needed to have a coven or something like that. Um, that's what the internet said. <laughs> so I just kind of, you know, left that into the the realm of the imagined until I think I was in my early 30s. I had a few friends in Seattle who were witches and who read tarot. Um, I had a therapist who was very practiced in astrology. And mm. I started with tarot and a little bit of astrology. It got really deeply into those. But that's that's kind of how it started, just by having my cards read by a friend and realizing this is just storytelling in a way. Mm. Yeah, one of the things you write about in the book is uh, is using magic in relation to some experiences you had, particularly with men um, who were not great. Did you feel like the magic and the spells, did that work? Did it have the desired effect? Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, I learned early on that when I was setting my intentions – if I was asking for something like, you know, I want this person to love me or whatever I was asking for, I would write write that down and write down or something better for all involved. Because I knew, I knew deep down that what I wanted was a bad idea. Uh, you know, it was, <laughs> it was um, selfish and it was foolish. Um, but, you know, I think magic was a really important part of this transformation that took place for me that the book is really about. Um, so I got sober actually on this day, six years ago. Hey. Wow, congratulations. Hey. Wow. This is auspicious for the yeah, chat. Yeah, super auspicious. So um, after I got sober, I just realized I needed to find a way for life to mean something to me, to, to feel like things made sense in the world. And um 
I started to try to believe in some kind of power in the universe. And then I did believe. Mm. Um, and then in 2016, uh, I had a breakup that really, really hurt. And it was really hard for me to take. And that's kind of at the center of this book, that this relationship, as much as I tried to, you know, carve my intentions into candles and cast spells and make it work that way, it wasn't going to work out. And so I had to find a way to trust that things were going to be okay. And magic did that for me. This is Livewire from PRX. We are listening to a conversation we had with Alyssa Washuda about her book, White Magic. We've got to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. I didn't see you there. It's that time of year again. My seasonal allergies are back. Oh, congratulations. But also, it's our spring member drive, which is happening right now through May 17th. Oh, I like that much more than seasonal allergies. Yeah, if you are not yet a member of Livewire's League of Extraordinary Listeners, well, now is the time to do it. Why? Well, because this League of Extraordinary Listeners uh, is what keeps the lights on over at Livewire Inc., uh, which is definitely not the association that we are part of. I'm probably a 501c3. They don't let me near any of the paperwork mm -hmm. or bookkeeping, and it's really better that way. Yes. Point is, we... We are only able to keep doing this show because of support from our members, and we would love it if you could join us in that right now. Plus, there are all kinds of sweet perks, including uh, special discounted tickets to live recordings, on-air shout-outs, exclusive content. Uh, and, Elena, uh, one more thing that, of course, we would not be a self-respecting public radio show if we didn't offer this. If we didn't offer the most iconic public radio swag of all time, a tote bag. True iconic status. Yeah, but it's not just any tote bag. This is like a really good tote bag. It's got a second zipper, an internal zipper. Yes, whatever you want to put in the tote bag, that's your business, okay? What we're mm -hmm. here to talk about is you keeping Livewire going. So head on over to livewireradio.org to see the various member levels. It does not matter how much you are giving every month to Livewire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you. Welcome back to Livewire from PRX. I'm your host, Luke Burbank, here with Elena Passarello. We are listening to a conversation with the writer Alyssa Washuda, recorded last year. Take a listen. Um, a big part of this book, uh, as we are talking a little bit before the break, Alyssa, is uh, you getting sober. And uh, as you mentioned, today happens to be your six-year anniversary of getting sober. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. That is absolutely no small feat. Um, what's it been like for you as a writer, uh, before and after your relationship with alcohol? It was a huge change. What I didn't realize was that getting sober changed so much that didn't seem related back mm -hmm. when I was drinking. I hadn't been writing super consistently in the couple of years before getting sober. I'd been trying to work on another book, but there were just sort of fits and starts and I didn't really know exactly what I was working toward. And life just felt like such a struggle that I didn't have time. But after I got sober, my life just started changing for the better in such huge ways. I had to figure out what was actually making me feel bad in my life and actually do something about it. And 
it took a little while, probably a year or more, to really um, earnestly get back into writing. But once I did, I was able to come to it with this focus and this clarity that I had never had before. And in 2017, that's when I really got rolling with writing White Magic. Well, speaking of the book, I was hoping you might be able to read this section that kind of describes for people that hear a book. It's called White Magic. It, to some degree, about your relationship with magic and tarot and witchcraft. And they're trying to kind of like wrap their head around what this is like for you. I feel like this, this part of the book kind of is a good snapshot of that. I was born just before the dawning of the age of Aquarius, or maybe a couple of decades after it, or maybe it hasn't even dawned. And anyway, I didn't know what that meant until I looked it up on Wikipedia. <laughs> we crystal witches of the internet think what we're about is not new age, but it surrounds us like water surrounds a fish. I'm learning from Wikipedia that it's exactly what we're about. Only we get our horoscopes as tweets and find our psychics on Yelp. We want the divine. We want to be healed and we want to fix. Most of all, we seek what we can't locate in the vast universe of the internet. Reassurance that it will be okay. New Age eats the ancient, trying to digest old systems. It's a collage of angels, magic numbers, incantations, and stolen beliefs. A collage is made not just of what's there, but also of the absence of the material from which the pieces are cut. I got good at working gaps in essays, but not in life. Instead of fearing silence and disrupting stillness, I want to be ready to set down my cards, close the JPEG of my natal chart, and ask the quiet to tell me what this life should be. I'm inclined to now list the things I know about the occult. This seems like the place to talk about which picture books that introduced me to written words, episodes of Sabrina the Teenage Witch that wormed into my brain as backdrop to my homework, and haunted houses across the ghost-obsessed pocket of rural New Jersey where I spent my first 18 years. I've been reading about witchcraft and spiritualism and Carl Jung and all kinds of mysteries, and I feel I should introduce a literature review here to show that I know the history of the dark arts, but I actually don't. The purpose would only be to convince you I'm not stupid. I couldn't convince any of my boyfriends, so I doubt I could convince someone looking at me through the thick veil of this page. Anyway, I don't care about Crowley or Salem, only about my own conjuring. I haven't memorized the entries in the catalog of demons. I don't even know the name of the one inside me. That's Alyssa Washuda reading from her new book, White Magic, here on the Livewire House Party. One of the things uh, that, that, that you were doing from a writing perspective that you talk about in the book was you, you got this gig writing from inside a drawbridge right. in Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> and then you kind of really found a way to write about, you know, Native people in the Northwest uh, th that made sense for this project. What did you end up doing? Yeah, you know, I proposed this project about this um, serpent spirit that had at one time been sort of living in or above Lake Washington and at several other points along the Seattle Fault. It's written about in some research papers on earthquakes. Um, it was mentioned in Forbes a couple of times in 2016. Once I got in the tower, which it was like a little um, terrarium, and I was just this this little plant growing inside. Um, it was so hot in the summer. And 
I just started doing research and, you know, ended up learning so much about the history of the shaping of the land that became Seattle, the regrading, dredging, um, the creation of the ship canal itself, uh, the moving of so many tons of earth was just absolutely fascinating. It kind of became a larger essay than I really thought it would as I thought about the idea of impermanence and the way that settlers were insistent upon making the land, the state of the land permanent. No more, you know, seasonal flooding, no more effects of the tides. It would just be the same always. Mm. And that had become so destructive in my own life. This desire for permanence was keeping me from, you know, accepting the fact that things change. Did you have a, a sort of a specific person in mind or an idea of the reader for this book when you were writing it? I mean, I think my reader was just myself for a lot of the process. After failing so much at trying to write essays I thought would be palatable and would be interesting and, you know, write toward a reader, that wasn't working. And eventually I really did have to write for myself. And and I did it in earnest. But then also, I think I was writing for my Twitter mutuals. Um, <laughs> it was good for me to feel like I had a connect, an actual connection with this audience as I was writing it, because I knew that I didn't want to rush this book and I didn't want to try to reach my readers sooner than, you know, sooner than was good for the book. And so just, you know, sending out my little tweets was really good for feeling like I was connecting with that audience in some way and allowed me to be patient with the writing process. Yeah. And I mean, you, you have, you have a, a part of the book where you, where you say like, Hey, I don't know if this is meeting your expectation as the reader, you know, I mean, you, you sort of call it out. And, and of course, then the irony is that it's a really great experience to read this book. Thank <laughs> like, you. So I think maybe you sort of naming it helped create this very readable, very compelling book. The book is White Magic. Alyssa Washuda, thank you so much for coming on the Livewire House Party. Thank you so much for having me. That was Alyssa Washuda right here on Livewire. Her book, White Magic, is available now. Hey, special thanks this episode to Adam Lane of Portland, Oregon, and Amanda Bird of Seattle, Washington. Adam and Amanda are part of the Livewire member community, and they are generously supporting the show with a donation each month, which we are very thankful for because that is legitimately how we are able to keep doing this. So a big uh, round of applause and heartfelt thanks to Adam and Amanda for keeping Livewire going. This is Livewire. Of course, each week we ask the Livewire listeners a question. Uh, this week, in honor of Anna Sale's book, Let's Talk About Hard Things, we wanted the audience to tell us about a trivial disagreement that they can't seem to resolve. Elena has been collecting up those responses. What are you seeing? Here's some saltiness from Mark. Mark <laughs> says, I am pro Crocs. You know, the shoes, Crocs. Yeah. They are extremely comfortable and you can hose them off, but my boyfriend disagrees. Crocs are like back. They are having a moment. 
I do not understand. <laughs> if you want to make me feel old, make fashionable something that I can't even conceptualize why it would ever be considered aesthetically <laughs> appealing. You know, there's a little strap on the back of the croc, and mm -hmm. people sometimes will have that strap down just to easily slide their foot in and out of the shoe. But mm -hmm. some people say when they put the strap up there in four by mode, like four by four, we're going to do some real... <laughs> We do some real adventuring. So you see oh. people putting their Crocs on, putting them in four by mode and, and going out there. It's very, they're very, very popular shoes right now. Yeah, no, pass. <laughs> also, I have size 10 to 10 and a half feet. It's better to have a more diminutive shoe on these water skis. <laughs> uh, what's some other trivial disagreement that one of our listeners is not able to resolve? This seems like a no-brainer for me, but let me know how you weigh in on this. It's from Tracy. Tracy says, when making a peanut butter and jelly, is it appropriate to not wipe or clean the knife that was in the peanut butter before putting it in the jar Whoa. of jam? That's a real, that's a conundrum. Mm -hmm. um, I think you should wipe in between because I think it's a little gross when you look in the peanut butter jar or the, the jam jar and it's got a bunch of the other stuff mixed in with it. Agree. Unless you only use the jam for peanut butter and jelly. Well, you know what my big move is? You'll what? know that I'm considering making another sandwich, like leaving my sandwich options open if you see the butter knife. you leave knife, the knife out? <laughs> but I leave it so that it's perched over the sink. So yep. half of the knife is on the counter and half of the knife is over the sink. For some reason, my brain says that's the most sterile way to... I don't, I'm not going to fully commit to washing the knife, and I might make another sandwich later. That's what I do. <laughs> All right, one more small disagreement that one of our listeners has been bedeviled by. Controversy from Scott, who argues pizza is an open-faced sandwich. Well, I mean, think about it. If you were to make another kind of open-faced sandwich, let's say, and you put, you know, some kind of delicious sandwichy fillings and then cheese, and then you kind of maybe baked it or something open-faced. How is that mm. fundamentally different than a pizza? Because the bread is already made in a sandwich. Oh. In a pizza, the dough is not yet finished. It, it cooks with the ingredients. Oh, wow. That's just me playing devil's advocate. I don't, I don't have any skin in this game. I just, that's how I would argue my way out of that. I think it's a very, you made a very logical argument. So, all right. Thanks to everybody who wrote in. Uh, we've got another audience question for next week's show, which we're going to read at the end of this episode. So stick around for that. In the meantime, speaking of hard conversations, our next guest might be America's foremost expert at them at this point. She's the creator of the podcast, Death, Sex, and Money, where she's talked to Jane Fonda, Madeline Albright, Mahershala Ali, and lots of others about touchy topics. Uh, she's got a book out too, Let's Talk About Hard Things, and in it she dives into five of the most fraught conversation topics. Death, sex, money, family, peanut butter and jelly, and <laughs> no, actually not that one, just identity. Uh, and she shares what she's learned from having all of these really pretty intense conversations for her podcast. So let's take a listen to this. It's our interview with Anna Sale, recorded last year. Anna Sale, welcome to Livewire. Thanks. I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> I'm wondering, Anna, be before you started hosting Death, Sex, and Money, what was your just kind of like resting comfortableness with conversations that could be really intense or awkward? Were you somebody who was pretty good at it already, or is that a muscle you had to develop with, with the podcast? 
I'm not sure if I was good at it, but always that's been the like thing that I've like zoom, like been magnetized towards. Like I was mm. one of those kind of insufferable teenagers who would say things like, "Ugh, I just small talk, whatever. Let's just get <laughs> into it," you know. Um, so that's been my way. Like I, I, I think that I have developed some skills over the years of that I did not have, um, but I've always really liked just locking in with someone and whether it's talking about something that's tough or just something that's like helping me really like learn something about somebody. It's, it's, it's more curiosity than kind of like pressing on a bruise that, that gets me excited. I'm curious about how you prep for an interview because I mean, you've been a reporter for a long time. And if you're interviewing a politician, you can like just check out their voting record. There's the sort of obvious research. But when you're going to talk to somebody about the death of a loved one or their sex life or whatever, like what's what's the prep for that like? Well, it's it's less like, ooh, what's the how do I get them to like be as graphic as possible about the pain or privacy in their bedroom? What I'm interested in is like moments in their life, maybe where they lost the script so in a prep for me, I really like starting, I like we have a team of producers who work on death, sex and money who are all excellent at their jobs. And and at the top of the prep, um, I like to have a timeline of someone's life and where it's like, okay, this is where they grew up. This is when they moved here. This is when they moved here. This is when they got together with this person. This is when they split up. And I just kind of like, look first at that to be like, oh, that looks like an interesting life period for them. I want to know about what was going on there, you know, and then, huh. oh, now they're like in middle age. What happened there? Da, da, da. You know, it's less about now I'm going to ask about the hard thing. I'm going to be like, oh, it looks like something shifted here in your life. Maybe it was a sad thing. Maybe it was a big opportunity. Let, let's talk about that. Mm. Uh, this book starts and kind of ends talking about your first marriage which ended in divorce. Sounds like you and your ex are are pretty amicable, mm -hmm. but I'm still wondering if you were kind of nervous about like committing that stuff to paper. It's one thing to say it on a podcast or talk about it in an interview. It's another thing to like have it in a hardback <laughs> book <laughs> in the psychology section of the bookstore published by Simon & Schuster. Like, were you worried about that? I mean, I actually found that to be one of the biggest places of kind of growth while I was writing. Um, I, I I remember um, Mary Carr wrote a book called The Art of Memoir. And one mm -hmm. of the things that she writes about in there is for her, something she's chosen to do is when she t writes about people in her life, she shares the pages with them as she's doing it. And um, I did that with my parents. I did that with some of my sisters. Who, and I did that with my ex as well. And like, you know, that's like the weird email to write. Hey, it's yeah. been a few years. I know we don't really, we're not in close touch, but I'm writing a book and, and here's some it. pages <laughs> about how our marriage fell apart. Um, and, uh, and it was like, it was really cool. It was really cool to like get to just have that correspondence with him. I ended up interviewing him in person about like, what was going on? Like, cause it, we were, there had been enough time that all the like hot emotions had mm -hmm. sort of dissipated. We're in really different places in our lives now. And so we could be like, well, how do you remember that? Like, oh, I remember that, you know, without sort mm -hmm. of like um, feeling the things that we felt at the time. So um, it just made me going through that process. Like, I feel really grateful um, for him for, for like sort of giving his blessing. Um, mm -hmm. And I also just feel really compassionate for both of us. Like we were both trying really hard and, mm -hmm. um, 
it just was a marriage that wasn't going to be forever. And and I feel like um, kind of writing about that and being like, oh, those were hard conversations because they made us face something that was hard and sad, which was we wanted different things. And it was a shock to both of us. And then it took us a while to accept it. And then um, I think we've we, our lives have unfolded for both of us in ways that are we both wanted, but apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you feel a responsibility since your show, uh, Death, Sex, and Money, since you're really asking the guests to just be as honest as possible, do you feel like you really have to reflect that back, you know, as the host and when you're writing this book and talking about your marriage that, that ended in divorce, things like that? Like, do you have to kind of lead by example with the I – mean, you do actually say, too, that this book is not a manifesto for radical honesty as well. Yeah. So, what do you mean by that? <laughs> well, okay, so – It's not a manifesto for radical honesty because I feel like radical honesty implies a sort of like, I'm going to tell you how it is and I don't care how you feel about Mm -hmm. it. I just need to be straight. You know, Um, my philosophy about hard conversations is that like it's important to be honest and to name the thing that's happening. But also all of these conversations are happening in the context of a relationship. So you need to tend to that relationship while you're having the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like, uh, there's not a lot in here. I mean, I, I there's a lot of private things that I write about in the book. But also, um, you know, it's stuff that I'm, like, proud that I worked through. So I don't mm-hmm. feel – I didn't feel a sort of, like, oh, my God, I'm really going to have to push myself to make this public. It was more like, this is what happened to me. Mm. I'm going to tell you about yeah. it. <laughs> You wrote about something uh, with your husband where you were trying to decide if you should rent an apartment mm-hmm. and how you were being very concerned about the finances of that and if that was going to be something that would be affordable, et cetera. And I think you write that what you figured out later was you really just trying to kind of have control of a situation. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> which, maybe that's sort of like psychology 101, but I hadn't thought – it caused me to reexamine like 80% of the arguments I've had in my life with people I've been in relationships with where I'm like, what was really going on there? Oh, I was probably trying to be in control of stuff. Yeah. Do you feel like hosting this show and thinking about this stuff as much as you do now and, and now working on this book – do you feel like it's changed you as a person? Are you like more able to kind of step out of your experience and, and kind of analyze it more accurately? Well, I analyze it more accurately, but all that stuff is still there. Ask my husband, Arthur. He will tell you I am annoying and not fun to make financial We're decisions We're interviewing with. him right after this, by <laughs> yeah, the way. So it's, a, yeah, it's an equal access thing. So half the show is you and half the show is Arthur. Yeah, I mean, he, he's a good interview. I'd recommend it. Um, <laughs> it's it's like now we just like, okay, here's Anna doing her thing that she does where she seizes up and gets freaked out and like thinks that everything's going to fall apart if we buy a rug, and, you know, and then she'll come around, <laughs> you know, and, and, um, and, and this, and therapy has helped with this too. I have this wonderful therapist right now where we're in that little like voice of me. Who's like, ah! she's like, she, my, my therapist, she's like, let's just listen to her for a minute. What's she afraid of? And she mm-hmm. lets me like sit in the voice of the afraid person. And I just mm-hmm. get to say all the crazy wild stuff that I'm afraid of. And then once she's like had her little piece, said her little piece, we'd be like, okay, we heard you. We don't agree with you about everything, but you're, it's out. That's out there. So um, that's more what I think like making the show and writing the book and, and also like living in close proximity all the time with my partner during this pandemic. Like you get really used to your patterns. You get to know mm-hmm. them. And I don't think I've changed a lot, but I can move through it more quickly 
because mm-hmm. we just like here is happening again you know mm-hmm. we're talking to anna sale from the death sex and money podcast here on the live wire house party she has a book out called let's talk about hard things do you find yourself being emotionally drained from hosting death sex and money particularly the stuff around death you know people have asked me that and the 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 bigger feeling that i have is like wow, I'm just so honored that that person shared this with me, you know? And usually when, even if it's a really heavy burden or something really hard, you can hear a little bit of lightness towards the end of the conversation from just their experience of getting to talk to somebody at length about something. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly like there are guests that just haunt me and conversations that haunt me. And I want, you know, I think like, wow, I wonder if that person is still struggling with that thing. Um, I guess I do, I do have a hard time with um, the loss of children uh, mm. as a, as, as a parent. Um, I think about that a lot. Uh, those, those kind of get stuck, but I think because I'm not a therapist and I'm not a social worker and I'm not a doctor who's, who people are coming to and saying like, help me fix this, help me, mm-hmm help me like work through this in my life. Instead, I'm this person who's like, I'm here to listen, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that's, it's less like I feel a responsibility to fix their problems and more I just feel really glad that we got to have the conversation. Is that a big takeaway from for you from hosting the show and, and from working on this book that just, you said it's not about necessarily fixing the problem. It's about like holding space. It's about just kind of, I mean, listening and, because I think there's this very natural response when someone's sharing something hard with us that we want to give them advice, tell mm-hmm. them how it could be worse. You know, there's like this really strong human impulse to want to fix it or somehow contextualize it. And and maybe the best thing you can do is just be there with the person. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I sort of like came to that halfway through writing that because the book is five chapters, death, sex, money, family and identity. And I was like, huh. It's interesting that all of these things feel really hard. They're really hard in different ways. So what if in part of each chapter I say like, money is hard because we don't like to admit that people have different amounts of resources. And part of that is because of things they've done. And part of that is because of luck and history. And we just don't like that fact. So we just pretend it doesn't exist. So if you start with like, that's what makes money hard. And I'm never gonna fix that dynamic by being a skillful communicator. Instead, I can just say, whoa, this is why this is hard to talk about. And then you can kind of have a conversation about it. Or like with death, you can't comfort someone who's in deep grief by saying, you know, you're going to get through this. Like Mm -hmm. that is not comforting. It is much more comforting to hear, I am here and I am sorry and I know your life is shattered and I'm going to be here with you as you feel all the feelings. That can be like so healing just to just to have someone who can sit with you in the hard stuff um, mm. and not try to fix it uh, because then you don't feel you feel less stigma. You feel less shame. You feel less isolated. You just feel like this is some this is this is something I'm working through and I have like someone alongside me while I try to figure it out. Do you feel like you should be at this point an honorary therapist? Like you should have like sort of like, you know, you took like you got enough credits 
like life credits that you were just accumulating by hosting this show and writing this book. I mean, you could fit in in any, you know, sort of therapist's office on the other side of the on the other side of the uh, desk or whatever. I could fit. Well, that's a real honor. I feel mm. like therapists always just they just have well, I've had most... therapists that are way worse than you and you're not even a tra- I've had some great therapists, but I've definitely had therapists where I was like, you know, Anna would probably be better at this. <laughs> like, I mean, I that's that's that is sometimes an interesting hard thing with listeners or with you know I'm a journalist. I mm-hmm. am doing this because I'm trying to like collect stories that I think sharing is in the public interest. So I am not mm. your therapeutic advocate. I am trying to collect your story. So sometimes I have to be really clear about that. But but I do feel just like therapy that that sharing more of these stories is really healing. And not just healing, it has a really important social function right now. I mean, I feel like we are living in a time in America where our trust in institutions is falling apart, where all of us feel sort of more on our own in going through things in life that we used to just have more places and rituals and conventions to sort of like carry us through. We don't have that as much now. And now instead, it's like you and your buddy, who's your other 40-year-old buddy of mine. You know, I'm 40. My buddy's 40. Like, huh, this is hard. You know, people have been going through midlife forever, you know, since people could live past midlife. And it's like, oh, now we just have to, like, we, we need to help each other. And we need to, like, push ourselves to say, this is the hard part for me. What's the hard part for you? To help each other. Yeah. Well, Anna Sale, the book, Let's Talk About Hard Things, is a great read. And, of course, the show, Death, Sex, and Money, is a must-listen. So uh, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. Thank you. That was Anna Sale right here on LiveWire. Her book, Let's Talk About Hard Things, is available now. And you can also check out her podcast, Death, Sex, and Money. This is LiveWire from PRX. We've got to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere because we are going to talk to Juliana Hatfield after the break and even hear a song from the indie legend herself. So stay with us. This is LiveWire. LiveWire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season, formerly known as Tea Chai Tay. Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. They make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LiveWire, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to LiveWire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank, here with Elena Passarello. Okay, our musical guest this week is maybe best known for her time as part of the Juliana Hatfield Three. She put out the singles My Sister and Spin the Bottle, which were both big hits. I see Elena rocking and rolling. Yeah, that's, it's that guitar riff just started in my head right now. Yep, I love that song. The memory of that music. She's also put out lots of albums over the years. Her latest is Blood. It's out now. Uh, let's take a listen to this. It's our conversation with Juliana Hatfield, who we caught up with last year. Hi, it's so nice to be here. I understand you recorded uh, your latest album, Blood. Uh, you had to learn how to operate the program GarageBand to do this? I did. I used to record onto um, an old digital 8-track machine, which was an actual 
was kind of a big hunk of machine and huh. it had faders and I would burn mixes to a CD. This machine had a built-in CD burner and it would spit out a CD with mixes on it. And when that machine broke and died, finally, I decided to figure out how to record at home. And with, when lockdown started, I took that opportunity to finally tackle GarageBand and yeah, recorded most of the album at home. I, I've heard that you're not the most sort of like naturally technical person. Oh, Did God, you recently no. upgrade your Nokia <laughs> cell phone? Um, well, I I did actually. I finally, I just finally got my first smartphone. Wow. Um, I feel like I was kind of forced into it. Um, but yeah, I had this little smartphone from I think 2004. <laughs> yeah, everyone laughed at me about it. I'm jealous, though. I would love to go back to what my brain was like when that was what my phone was like. Mm-hmm. I, I I feel like a smartphone has made me not smart. Yeah, I think I, I think I was trying to preserve my brain by holding on to that phone. And now I just feel like I, I give up. My brain is shot like everyone else's. <laughs> Might as well just embrace it. Embrace the uh, scattered scatteredness of modernity. Um, we're talking to Juliana Hatfield. Her new album is Blood. I just watched this uh, documentary about you where you said you feel like you have not had the greatest success at relationships. And I think you said shared domesticity fills you with terror <laughs> and that you're yeah. just kind of like you've just you're just sort of making peace with the fact that you may be a fairly solitary person in your life. I'm wondering about that effect on your music making. Like, could you have made all these albums and been so prolific if you if you weren't spending a lot of time alone maybe not i don't i don't think so i think that the music making always took precedence for me over any relationship if i ever had to make a choice between the music and a relationship i would choose the music the work it's just more important to me or or i would say it's just more successful and yeah all my life i, I was sort of fighting against my loner tendencies because there's a lot of pressure from culture society other people to partner up to you know get married have kids but i never really truly wanted those things i tried but i realize now that i can stop trying i prefer solitude work and Mm -hmm. solitude it works for me Mm -hmm. um well speaking of your very prolific career. You have this new album, Blood, that's coming out, and you're going to play us a song from it? Yeah, I'm going to play the song Mouthful of Blood. This is Juliana Hatfield on the Live Wire House Party. Who was crucified for having wrong opinions? 
Juliana Hatfield Yay! here on the Livewire House Party. Song off her new album, Blood. Juliana, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. All right, before we get out of here, a little preview of next week's show. We are going to be talking to New Yorker writer and Pulitzer Prize winner Katherine Schultz about her incredible book, Lost and Found, which talks about the passing of her father and also the same time she was falling in love with her now wife. Then we're going to talk to a high school football coach who managed to disarm a student with a gun using a hug. It's a really incredible story. Then we are going to get some music from one of our favorites, John Craigie. And as always, we're going to be looking to get your answer to our listener question. Elena, what are we asking the listeners for next week's show? We want to know what is the coolest thing you ever found? Oh, sweet. Yeah, because we're talking about lost and found next week uh, with Catherine's book. So send in your response to that. What's the coolest thing you've ever found? Uh, We're on Twitter and Facebook at LiveWire Radio. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the show. A huge thanks to our guests, Anna Sale. Alyssa Washuda, and Juliana Hatfield. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Tim Harkins is our development and marketing director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sepchenko, and our assistant editor is Trey Hester. A. Walker Spring composes our music. Molly Pettit is our technical director and mixer. And Viviana Castilla-Serrano is our intern. Additional funding provided by the Marie Lamfrom Charitable Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we'd like to thank members Adam Lane of Portland and Amanda Bird of Seattle, Washington. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire team. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Livewire. When we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait. Actually, no. Sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, Thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.